Over the last month, I have been walking through the book of Mark, and I've gone through it about three times. And in the process of going through it, uh, one of the things that has struck me is, is that our congregation has really been going through some difficult times in that we have had some, some pretty significant losses in our family. And some of those were losses of youth minister, some of those were losses of an elder. Uh, just by resigning, we had loss of uh, a 20-year-old that was one of our young men uh, who died in a car accident. We had a loss of an 86-year-old that was just an outstanding man who always had a smile on his face and everybody loved him. He actually made the stands this year for all our VBS flags, and he made all those at 80, 86 years old. It was just a joy to be around. And so we have gone through some very difficult times. And as I read the book of Mark, I'm not going to do kind of a thing about just going here and looking and try. I just want to give you some things that touched my heart and, and really spoke to me as I went through this during this, all of this that was going on this summer. And because our youth ministers left suddenly, it left me to be the youth minister as well as the preacher this summer. And so I went to all of their events, took over all the youth ministry, did all that. Now, I did it for 17 years. And so it was a, not a new experience, but it was a new experience, if you know what I mean. Someone that has been out of it for 20 years and then get back into it, it was new. And when I left, there were no cell phones. So total, total difference, total difference in the way those kids reacted and lived and connected compared to the old way that I was used to. And so an old guy had to learn how to connect to young people. And there was a lot of struggles during that time this summer. If you lose someone you love and they've left, it's just really difficult. No matter if it's an elder, no matter if it's a youth minister, no matter if it's a 20-year-old who died. And through this whole process, there has just been this cloud that has existed over Lake Homa Church. And as I thought about that cloud, I thought about the darkness that surrounds us and the enemy that is near each and every one of us. And that enemy is real. Satan is real. His dominion of this world is real. And he is out to deceive us. He's out to discourage us. He's out to do all of those things in our lives. And when I was reading the book of Mark, what fascinated me was the amount of demons that Jesus actually cast out of the book, in that book, especially in the first five chapters. Even in the first chapter, he's talking to unclean spirits. In the power of Jesus, the power of God, the power of this God who has come to the earth, 
And every single time, if you want to just turn there, let's just go to chapter 1 first. Verse 23. And immediately there is in the synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. I know who you are, the Holy One of God. It's interesting to me that as you go through the book of Mark, when you read the very first book, the very first, very first verse, it says this. In the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. In the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As I continue to read and as I continue to look at this, this book, as I continue to see what was going on, It's interesting to me that the only people that recognized Jesus, the only people that recognized the Son of God, the only people that said, hey, He is the Son of God, the only ones that did that are the demons. And a centurion, a centurion, who in seeing Jesus on the cross looked at Him and said, surely He is the Son of God. Of God. Everybody else misses him in this. The disciples, they don't recognize him as the Son of God. They recognize him as the anointed one because in the transfiguration in Mark 9, he, they say, You're the Christ. You're the anointed one. But Jesus is the Son of God. And people, that means something. Because he's the only one that could tell the demons and look at the demons and actually say, you need to be quiet. You need to just not say anything. Please, just don't say a word that I am who I say I am. And over and over, Jesus has to say to them, quit speaking and don't tell anybody. And by the authority that he has, every single one of them shut their mouths. They don't proclaim it. And yet the first verse of Mark talks about the beginning of the gospel, the beginning of the proclamation of the good news of the Son of God. And the only ones that are trying to proclaim that are the demons in a centurion. And everybody else is not. And you have three main groups. You have the disciples. You have the crowd. And then you have the Pharisees and the teachers of the law that are all against him, against Jesus. And the question is, is what did Jesus come for? Why did he come to this earth? Look down in verse 15 of chapter 1, and it says this. The time is fulfilled And the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the proclamation of the good news. 
Repent and believe in the proclamation of the good news. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of God, God's rule, Christ's rule is now here in our midst. And it must rule our lives. And the demons did not like that Jesus was coming in and creating a new rule in this space. He, they didn't like it. They knew who he was. And they fought against him. And as believers, as believers, as people who come from the tradition of the church of the anointed one, from the ecclesia, the called out of Christ. We are called, we are called to move out into a world and be Jesus to others. And be Jesus to others. That's what I love about Mark. Mark's so immediate. I forget how many times he actually says immediate. Because he says it over and over. It's like, immediately this happened, immediately this happened, immediately this happened. I don't know how in the world these could go back to back. But Mark just tries to get you moving. Get you moving and going from one place to another. And I love that every, every time you see Jesus, he is amongst them, the people. And he is doing so many different things besides casting out demons. He's also... Healing, he's also meeting people. Chapter 1, verse 29 and following. He leaves the synagogue. He enters the house of Simon and Andrew and with James and John and Simon's mother-in-law. Lay ill with a fever. Immediately he told him about her and he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up and the fever left and she began to serve them. And that evening at sundown, I just love this verse, that evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick and oppressed by demons. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. Okay, so you do understand that the whole city, I don't know how big it was. I don't understand. It could have been, let's say, three times as many as this. And here at this door, this little door of Simon Peter's mother-in-law, there they are, and everybody is cramming in because they want to see whom? They want to see Jesus. Why? Because what has Jesus done? Jesus has cast out demons right before that. Jesus has released those evil, that evil in people's lives, and they look, we want more of this. And as he teaches, he teaches with such authority, such authority, such authority, because he is our God. He is Jesus. He is God himself. When I think about that, I, I, I can't help but go over to Colossians chapter 1. So if you would, go to Colossians chapter 1 if you don't mind. And I want you all to get the, the, understand what Jesus and who Jesus is. Verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God. 
the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, were the thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. All the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood on the cross. Jesus is preeminent. The demons know it. Do we? Do we act like he is preeminent? Do we live our lives as if Jesus is our Savior? who sits on the right hand of the throne of God, who is God. And he is sitting, and he is God. And God is asking us, and God has come down and been and made human, and here he is in the midst of people. And in the midst of people, he's got all these people around this little, this, this, this small, probably, house. And Jesus is standing at the door. And all these people keep coming to the door, keep coming to the door. And they keep coming to the door. And he keeps healing them and healing them until late in the night. And then everybody goes to bed. But guess who gets up early? Jesus does. Why? Because Jesus knows that the power that he needs in order to sustain his ministry does not come in healings, but comes through what? Prayer. Through prayer. When I think about where we are in our congregation right now, some of the struggles that we've got going on, they're not anything different than probably what you have here. But as I look at those, I see what Jesus did in the midst of all of that that was going on. And the first thing he does is he goes and prays. And then all the apostles, they wake up. They just wake up. They just wake up and they go, oh, where's Jesus? Where, 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 where is he? Where'd he go? And so they go out searching for him. I mean, we're in verse uh, 37. And he'd gone to a desolate place, and they're saying, Jesus, Jesus, where, where are you? And they finally find him. They finally find him. Everyone is looking for you. Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, let us go on to the next town that I may preach there also for that is why I came out. This is why I came out. Goes back to verse 1 to the proclamation of the good news that the kingdom of God is near. 
that God is here in your midst. And my role is to go out and make sure that everybody knows that. And so he goes. And guess what he leaves there at the door? Everybody that still wanted to be healed. I mean, the apostles were going, whoa, man, this was awesome. Let's do this again. You can just see that in their face. They were just, where's God? We got to get him back. We got, man, this was so exciting. This was so great. Let's get, get him back to the door so everybody else can just get, whoa, 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 whoa. That's not why I came. I came to proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God that it is near. And I came to ask people to, and you look at that verse 15, to repent. I asked them to come and change their ways. That's why I've come. That's why I'm to be here. And so Jesus, as someone who's an example to us, as someone who shows us the way, as someone that we're supposed to walk through and walk in our lives like Him... And be like him, as Matthew 10, 24 and 25 says, it is enough for us to be like our teacher. It is enough for the student to be like his teacher and the servant to be like the master. It is enough for us to be like our teacher. And so it's enough for us to be like Jesus Christ. And so in our walk, in our ways, we look through this Bible and we look through this book and we look through the way that Jesus is calling people and the way that He is in their lives, the way He is touching them, the way, like in verse 41, where He's moved to pity, to be stretched out His hand and to touch this this leper who is unclean. And He's got this heart for others. And the reason the kingdom of God came near is because Jesus was willing to walk into places that other people didn't want to go. In chapter 2, verse 15, Jesus reclines at a table in his house, and there's many tax collectors and sinners reclining with Jesus and his disciples. For there were many who followed him. Look at verse 16. The scribe and Pharisee, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to Jesus, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? When Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus, listen, Jesus was very comfortable in the presence of people that most of us would shy away from. He was very comfortable in the midst of a crowd of people that no one wanted to be around. No one wanted to be around the tax collectors. No one wanted to be around the sinners. They knew exactly what they were doing. They were crooked individuals. They were trying to get rich. And Jesus goes to dinner with them? Are you kidding me? I uh, have a 
ministry at Starbucks. At the Yukon Starbucks on I-40. Um, I went in there one day and sat down when I first got here three years ago and plopped my stuff down at a table and started studying real early in the morning. I didn't really think about anything. The next day, I did the same thing. Plopped my stuff down. It was a four-person table. Plopped it down. And I noticed that there was a guy that was looking at me like, and I couldn't understand why. But I kind of got the feeling that, so the next day I moved. And that guy came up to me and said, thank you for moving. That was our place. Well, that was right by a door. And when it got cold, all those people that were over there moved over here, right beside me, long table. And for three years, I've had the privilege of sitting and listening to people who, as they would say, I could actually read you a text of one that wrote me a text, who I enjoy, part of the text, I enjoy my secular life. Even though I know I need faith, I enjoy my secular life. It has been a great opportunity to get to know people who are in the world. Not to be afraid of them, but to sit with them and to learn and to have opportunities to hear what's going on in their lives and also to speak into their lives in a way that doesn't condemn, because that's not what Jesus did, but in a way that actually leads them to question and to think about their lives. In the process of that, we were building a home. And about a year ago, a year and a half ago, after or a year ago after that house was built, we invited the whole crew, about 18 of them, to come over to our house. And we had about 16 people that came over to our open house for just because I sat down at Starbucks and opened my Bible and was there on a consistent basis. And I think about Jesus and I think about his ministry to people. Jesus sat in the midst of people who were broken. Jesus sat in the midst of people who were hurting, who had illnesses. Jesus walked up to those who had demons. Jesus was one that every single person wanted to be around. They wanted to be around him. And it's and because of that, because he was with all these people who were sinners, because of that, I want you to go to chapter 3. Because in chapter 3, what happens is you see a great crowd following in verse 7. It 
And whenever the unclean spirits saw him, in verse 11, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. And he strictly ordered them not to make him known. Not to make him known. And then you go over, and he has this, and, and look at verse 15. He, and he sent them out, and he sent all of his disciples out to do what? To have authority to cast out demons. And then in verse 20, he went to his home. Get this now. He went to his home. And as he goes to his home, the crowd gathered around him. And he could not even eat. And when his family heard of it, listen, listen, listen. When his family heard of it, they went out to what? Seize him. Seize him. Why? Because they were saying he is out of his mind. His brothers, the four brothers, his sisters, here they are. And here Jesus is in this town. All these people are coming to him. And they don't even have enough time to eat. The disciples don't. They're just doing ministry with people. They're healing people. They're casting out demons. They're doing all of this. And you see this ministry that Jesus has. And it's just amazing. But his family looks at him and says, you are nuts. You're nuts, Jesus. You're not like you, what happened to you. Why are you doing this? And you can just see this presence of his parents and his mom and, and his brothers and his sisters, and they're trying to not just ask him to come home, they're trying to take him by force. The demons know who he is. But even the family doesn't even know who Jesus is. And so he gets accused. Verse 22, he is possessed by Beelzebub and by the prince of demons. He cast out demons. And then he goes into, how could that even take place? Because in the verse 30, for they were saying, he has an unclean spirit. And his mother and brothers came, and standing outside, they sent to him and called him. And a crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, your mother, your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And here's a kicker for me. Who am I in this story? Who am I in this story? Am I, am, I, am I the one that are sitting at Jesus' feet listening to his message? Am I one that is the brothers and the sisters and the mother that are standing on the outside? Am I? Who am I? And he answered them, Verse 33, who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, here, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. It is the one who does the will of God that Jesus says, those are the ones that are in my family. Those are the ones that are near and in my kingdom. Those are the ones that are close to me. 
the ones that hear my words and actually do them. And so when you get over to chapter 9 and you get to the transfiguration, and you have this transfiguration that happens, and you see that going on, And, and so Peter, James, and John taking up to the mountain. And in verse 6, for he did not know what to say, Peter didn't. For they were terrified, and a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud. This is my beloved son, what? Listen to him. Hear him. Listen to him. And what the book of Mark wants to get us to do, it wants to get us to come back to the Son of God, to who he is. This is who the Son of God is. This is Jesus. 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 Jesus is the one that can take all the demons out of our lives. Demon, Jesus is the one who can heal all our diseases. Jesus is the one who can take the brokenness in our lives. And He's the one that can heal us. But it may not be the family. It may not be the crowd. It may not be those individuals. It's the people who do the will of God, who listen to His voice. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me, is what Jesus says in John And Jesus comes to a point to where He foretells His death even a third time. And I want to get over because I'm running out of time. I just go over to chapter 12. One of the scribes came up, verse 20, 28 of chapter 12. One of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another and seeing that he answered them well, asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, the most important is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Now, I can tell you that every single child knew that. I can tell you that that was one of the first things that every child tried to memorize. And it was the first thing that they would say in the mornings. It would be the last thing that they would say in the day. The Shema. It was what they lived by. The Lord, our God, is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then Jesus does something that was really interesting, and the second is likened to it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. No other commandment greater than these. No other commandment greater than these. I want you to get that. Jesus said, when God says, hey, I want you to listen to him, Jesus said, let me tell you something. There is no other commandments greater than these. In fact, in Matthew it says, on these hang all the law and the prophets. 
Everything, every law that was ever written, everything that the prophet said, all of that comes back to these two commandments. Everything comes back because God is love. And above everything He loves. And His commandments, every single one of them, come out of love. And the love that we have, that He has given us, we need to share that with others. We need to be people who are loving our neighbors. Loving those who aren't like us. Loving those who are different. When we moved into our house, we had... We actually bought our, a lot from one of our ladies at the, at the church. It's in an old neighborhood. And she had, they, her family, had, her, her and her husband had bought two lots. And she had sat there for 40 years. And so we built the house right there on that, that lot. She moved. Her sister lived on the other side of us. They moved. We have new neighbors. On one side, we have a young family that's Hispanic. And I can't converse with the father yet. Because that's about all we can do. And he's got four little kids, and they've got two little yapping chihuahuas. (laughs) (coughs) Sorry. And they are just... Yapping all the time. And it's a Hispanic family, and that's probably the thing I left out. That's why I can't communicate with him. I don't know his language. And we see each other out, and we're talking about it, and I'm saying, hey, I don't understand what you're saying. And I'll, he'll say, I don't understand what you're saying. And so we just kind of greet each other, you know, like that. So I'm, ha- I'm having a difficult time learning to love my neighbor. On the other side, a young family moved in with two little kids. I can converse with them, and we have, have great relationship with them. And then there's George across the street who's in everybody's business. Y'all have a George in your neighborhood? Everybody does. And as I think about what Jesus is asking me to do, is to love my neighbor well. But people, my neighbor, or even those at Starbucks, those are my neighbors. I've been to one of their men's father-in-law's funeral. We've done things with one of the couples there, Deborah and I have, because one of the guys is in a band, and We've gone to see the band and, and done all that stuff. And it's a little loud and other stuff going on there that we won't talk about. But anyway, you know what I mean. But as I think about that verse, how are you loving on your neighbor? And as we get to the end, as we come to the time of Jesus on the cross... We get to chapter 15. Verse 33 and following. And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. 
And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Some of the bystanders hearing it said, behold, he's calling Elijah, and someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on a reed, and gave it to him to drink, saying, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to take him down. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, Truly, this man was the Son of God. Truly, this man is the Son of God. Of God. And what I want to leave you with this evening is this. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. Preeminent in your life. Is Jesus above everything in your life? Is He the Son of God? Do you recognize him? The disciples, you know, they deserted him. The crowd jeered him on. And the scribes and the Pharisees, they crucified him and led him to the cross. And there was no one who recognized who he was in this book except for the centurion. The only, listen, the only human being who utters the words in the book of Mark is a Gentile Roman centurion who is at the foot of the cross and looks up and says, this is the Son of God. This is the Son of God. You can't deny by the way he died that this was not, this is the Son of God. And I ask you, I ask you, I beg you, I plead with you. The demons knew it, Centurion knew it. No one else did. Do you know it? Do you know it? And do we live it out in our lives? On a daily basis. Let's go to our Heavenly Father in prayer, if you don't mind. God, as we come before you tonight, I thank you for being a God who loves us, who knows us. And Lord, you know our hearts. And you know what's inside of us. Even the secret places that we try and stuff things, you reside there too. Lord, I pray that you will be with this congregation, this body of believers. Because God, the kingdom of God is near. It's here. And it's here in this place. It's right here in Choctaw, Oklahoma. It's right here in the people that live in this town. 
It is right here in this place. And I pray that we as individuals, and I pray that this church as a congregation will be bold and will take your message to the lost of this world and will be good neighbors. Neighbors that love on people and try to get to know them and show hospitality to them. Not condemning, but coming alongside and offering them a glimpse of your son, Jesus. Because of the way he walked, because of the way he talked, because of the way he lived, Lord, that's exactly how we want to live in harmony with others. And Lord, it's your job to change people. It's our job to just plant a seed and to just water. You give the increase, God. It's you that you give the growth in people. Touch the hearts of those in this audience who are reaching out already to people who know those individuals who are who are just trying to do, trying to let them see Jesus. I pray that your hand will be upon them and that your spirit will guide them and give them the right words to say. Lord, I ask that you bless us tonight and just thank you for this time of study that we've had. How we love your word. How we love your son, Jesus, who gave his life for each and every one of us. And through his, your grace and his sacrifice, we have hope of joining you and your son in that throne room one day. Oh, what a day that will be. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you.